This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. What is going on? Welcome in to the Sports Objective. We appreciate everyone tuning in uh, right now, whether it's on Facebook Live, YouTube, or Twitter. And obviously, our shows can always be found pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, including but not limited to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Let us hear from you throughout the show on each one of those platforms. Tonight, we're going to be talking college basketball, golf, and a whole lot more. But before we welcome in tonight's first guest, Let's get a weather report from LaGrange. Uh, Kyle, how are things going down there? Man, right now it's just rainy and cool. Uh, let's see. Let's pull out the uh, let's pull out the weather app here on the phone, and I'll give you an accurate forecast. It's currently 40 degrees with shower in LaGrange. The forecast for tonight is to get down to about 30 degrees. Tomorrow uh, you're gonna you're gonna stay below freezing all day. During the day tomorrow, they're calling for about an inch or, about an inch of snow with two tenths of an inch of ice. Tomorrow night, varying forecast, but the one I'm going with, the one I like the most, Weather Channel, it's calling for three to five inches of snow. Uh, we'll have more detailed forecasts later on in the show. Back to you, Bubba. Well done. Well done. But without any further ado, let's welcome in our first guest, a guy who we used to have on very regularly. Uh, now he's the ESPN Plus color analyst for Coastal Carolina for each and every home game for the Chanticleers. Welcome back to the program, Nate Ross. Nate, how are you? I'm doing good. Jim Cantori's in trouble with that weather report, Kyle. That was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jim better watch his back. Yep. If you see Kyle Barber in town, you better run for cover. Wow, but, that's always been the case. Yeah, well, that's true. And just not for the weather, right? No. Exactly. But no, uh, no, Nate, appreciate your time this evening. Um, really look forward to the conversation. It's been a, been a while, I guess, back to last season. But um, first and foremost, you know, before we dive into East Carolina basketball, because I know you had the chance to watch the Pirates on Tuesday night and what a heartbreaker that was for Joe Dooley's club against UCF. But just tell everybody what you're doing now uh, with Coastal Carolina. Yeah, well, Jeff McCarriger and I do the Coastal Carolina home games on ESPN Plus in the Sun Belt. Everybody kind of does their own thing with the home games, and they produce it themselves in-house and all that kind of stuff. So we've been doing that for probably the last uh, probably three or four years, and um, it's fun. I mean, it, it's a great league, the Sun Belt. It's amazing to watch Coach Ellis work after the years he's been doing it, and it's just a lot of fun. And I'm working, so you can't beat that. No doubt, and um, I – like I mentioned a moment ago, you had the chance to watch Joe Dooley's Pirates for the first time this season, at least an entire game. I'm sure you may have caught some highlights here and yeah. there. But, uh, you know, what were your thoughts? In, in my opinion, I think you saw kind of a microcosm of where this program is. I mean, you look at that game, the Pirates led by 20 on multiple occasions, led by 16 with just under 10 minutes to go, uh, unable to hold on, and uh, the Knights won in overtime. So you, you see tremendous improvement, but at the same time, kind of how far the program has to go in terms of, you know, closing out a game like that. 
Yeah, when when they were not winning the last couple of years, I think the big thing I took from watching them is they had trouble scoring the ball. They don't have that trouble anymore. I mean, they can score the ball, um, but without Miles and without Suggs at the end of a game, and I don't know how long they're going to be out, it's tough to close a game out. That's two big keys of your five. And uh, not only were they not in the game, but USF knew they were in the game and took advantage of the fact that whoever was playing instead of them. Do you know what's going on with Suggs? Any kind of report or anything? I don't know exactly what the injury is, Nate. Um, a member of the local media did ask Joe Dooley today before the team headed out to Houston, leaving a day early because of the, yeah. the inclement weather that's hitting the area. But um, he, he was asked about Brandon Suggs. He did say that Suggs is unavailable for Houston and probably um, next few games. But uh, hopefully we will have him back um, before the season's over. Uh, but the good news is I did see um, – some footage of J.J. Miles, another 6'7 body um, that I think will be available on Saturday. And East Carolina is obviously going to need every bullet they can have um, in, in the gun uh, as they go down to Houston against a top-10 team like Kelvin Sampson's Cougars. And I think in the net right now, Houston's like third or fourth. Yeah, the Fertitta Center, it's an amazing facility to start with. And then you put a team in there that's really fun to watch. And the people of Houston have just – they've embraced them. Um, Kelvin Sampson's done a great job to do all that, along with his daughter Lauren and all that kind of stuff, um, with the promotion. But everybody loves a winner, and they're a winner right now. They're, they're on a little bit of a roll. Now, as far as the Pirates are concerned there tonight, you, you mentioned Brandon Suggs. And Brandon's having an excellent game, uh, seven points, five rebounds, five assists, ha had not turned the ball over. And then he went down there in the second half. But um, unfortunately, and Nate, you got to see Vance Jackson's worst game as a Pirate. And Vance only had two points. Uh, I think he only had two shot attempts. If you would have told me going into that game that we would ever lead by 20 points with Vance Jackson uh, only scoring two, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's kids. I mean, they could be 23 years old, but they're still kids. And uh, – it's next man up, unfortunately, because of the crazy uh, transfer portal and injuries and COVID stuff. You don't know who you're going to have available each night. And as a coach, that's why I don't have any hair anymore. But I didn't have to deal with that stuff. Coaches today have to deal with that stuff. And it's, it's just very difficult, you know, to get a starting five and an eight-man or nine-man rotation. And then, well, he tested positive. Coach, he's out for five days. You know, it's just tough to deal with him when you have a kid that doesn't have a good game, whether he's playing or not. It's difficult to do. I thought the um, – I wrote it down here. Um, I thought the Frank kid played pretty well. I mean, there's, he's not as big as the starting center, but he gives you a little more point production. So between those two guys, you get a little stability inside, especially on a defensive end. Yeah, Zoe Frank um, transferred in from South Carolina. And Frank, yep. Mar Frank Martin had said that, um, you know, headed into the preseason, if he would have hung around, that he would have been slated, uh, penciled in as the starting center. And it's a nice acquisition uh, for Joe Dooley and the Pirates. And he had, I think, 16 against UCF. And um, definitely has played very well, especially of late. And in addition to um, Frank, did you notice some of the play of freshman Brandon Johnson? He's actually a JUCO, but last year in JUCO uh, did not count because of COVID. So 
how awesome is it to get a JUCO guy that has four years to play and and um, he has produced multiple double doubles this season. That never happens, obviously, but because of the COVID and everybody got an extra year of eligibility and all that stuff, junior college kids are great, but in two years they're usually gone. If you can have them for more than two, if you have them for four, that's a great asset because Coach Dooley and his staff do a great job of player development. They make kids better. They don't make them better. They get them better over the years. And to have him for that kind of duration, is that's really good for the program. Now, Nate, um, we mentioned your association with that Coastal Carolina program. Um, I've always been intrigued by Cliff Ellis, tremendous coach. Uh, also, you know, he's – I grew up in a household where, where beach music was loved. Uh, and uh, so I know that's something that Cliff Ellis certainly loves. And I love the video that Cliff put out recently before a rematch with App State, a program that you're also very familiar with, uh, having coached there. Um, but – App State had won a close game up at the Holmes Convocation Center. And then, um, man, what a, what a tremendous game that was down in Conway. But um, I love the video where Cliff Ellis urged the uh, Chanticleer students and fans to get out and make it a rowdy atmosphere. You know, he's amazing. It, it fascinates me. It's his 48th year coach. And I wrote this down. It's his 15th year coach, but 48 years at the same job, different schools. Took four teams to the NCAAs. His enthusiasm is unmasked. I don't care if you're a first-year coach or you're a 48th-year coach. In practice, he's unbelievable. And they had a shot blocked at the buzzer by a kid named Udige, a freshman from um, London, England, who uh, would have won the game. When they come down, Appalachian comes to Coastal, they got a different guy at the line with three free throws with six seconds to go. He makes the first one to tie it. He misses the next two. Game goes to overtime and they lose. And the game before that, they lost because they missed free throws. So Coach Ellis was saying afterwards, you know, we make our free throws, we win basketball games. But that's what it comes down to. But he's a master tactician. In fact, at the game in Boone, the Appalachian coach, Coach Kern, said, I wasn't going to call timeout at the end of the game because I knew Coach Ellis would change to a defense that we had never seen and maybe never practiced against, and I didn't want to put our kids in that position. That's the respect other coaches give him. So he said, I was just going to play it out, and thank goodness we won the game, but I wasn't going to call a timeout because I didn't know what he was going to run, but he was going to run something different. Um, but, yeah, he's amazing to watch. I think he's won over 170 games at four different schools. Um, the kids love to play for him. He just loves to be around the kids. He just wants to make the kids better people. Yeah, it's a ball to do the coastal games. It really is. Yeah, the job he did at Clemson and Auburn uh, definitely comes to mind. Um, South Alabama. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, well, tremendous. He won over eight hundred Division One games. Think about that. Not not coached eight hundred. Won over eight hundred Division One games. He passed eight hundred early in the season. Yeah, tremendous coach and Cliff Ellis and uh, you know, Kyle. Um, I know you were laughing there uh, to yourself when when Nate mentioned that as far as free throws winning ball games, right? Well, I didn't know if you guys knew this, but free throws win ball games. The East Carolina Pet Band uh, used to say that. I think I think that is a thing of the past. But Kyle and I always got a laugh of that. <laughs> I I tell you a great story how Coach Ellis cares about other people. 
they were in the Bahamas for a tournament and they got a game canceled because the roof leaked or something. So they applied to the NCAA for another game because they wanted to play all their games. So they got another home game. Well, of course, we get to do the home game. So it was against some NAIA team and they beat them. So after the Coach Ellis was walking towards us and we're packing our stuff up at the end of the game. And uh, I said, Coach, it's another win. He said, I got you another check, didn't I? Got you another check. I said, Coach, we always appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's that's Cliff Ellis right there. Now, Nate, as you as you, as you look at the national picture, um, what are some of the things that really stood out? I mean, obviously, what Gonzaga, Auburn, you know, some of those programs are doing. Um, but in addition to that, um, you know, who are some of the um, – potential sleepers with the tournament just around the corner. It's funny. I was, I was looking at, I don't think college basketball, I don't think there's a great team out there. I think there's a lot of good teams, but I don't think there's a great team. There's no undefeated teams, obviously, but I looked up some stats from the top 10 teams. The top 10 teams either have four or five guys in double figures, which is very hard to do. A lot of teams have three, but four or five. And their point differential is at least 13. Doug Collins, who I used to love to listen to when he was an analyst on the NBA, would always talk about point differential. But there are some teams that aren't in the top 10 that have that. One of them is Davidson. Davidson has four guys in double figures and a point differential of 12. They've won 15 in a row in, the, in their conference. So, and of course, the conference stats are going to, Turned down a little bit now because there's no more non-conference games for anybody. But I think Davidson's team to look out for. Um, of course, there's the Gonzagas, um, the Iowas. Auburn's an amazing athletic team. Auburn has four and double figures. And their point differential is 66 to 81. So they score a ton of points. Arizona, Baylor's got five and double figures. The Zags have five and double figures. But another team, I think it's stupid to say this, but a dark horse is Chapel Hill, UNC, because Baycott is so good. And they're not playing good. They got smoked the other night. They're not playing good at all right now. But they'll probably get into the NCAAs because of their, and it shouldn't be this, because of their past performances. Uh, but because Baycott's so good inside, he can turn a game around. Um, and I think Davidson's a team like that as well. Um, I wrote down another one here. I got so many stuff I wrote down. Yeah, Nate, while you're looking while you're glancing at your notes on UCLA is another one. UCLA plays with no students. There's no students. So if they get in the NCAA tournament and go to a region where there's students, they might go crazy. Right. <laughs> I heard their coach talking the other day, no students. He said they play they can't wait to play road games so they can play in front of somebody. Yeah. That's I, so stupid. If if you're gonna and it's probably not even the school's policy, it's probably something to do with those uh creeps out in LA. Oh, just um, in California, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's just, but they're going to go on the road and play in front of fans. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's illogical. It's completely illogical. Yeah. Coach Cronin was talking about that. He said, well, my kids want to go on the road and play, which you never hear. But there's a reason. That's the reason. Yeah, I was watching some, some Pac-12 basketball recently. I, I want to say, I'm trying to remember who it was. Um doesn't matter. But then in addition to that, I, I watched Gonzaga and BYU. Tremendous atmosphere up there at the Kennel. But, but um, for those Pac-12 games that I saw a few minutes of, um, like you mentioned, there, there was zero atmosphere. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I usually watch five, six games a night. 
my thumb sore from the remote. But um, I watched that BYU Gonzaga game. That's a heck of a basketball game. Yeah, very entertaining for sure. I love watching the Zags play and BYU um, very good themselves. Um, but you mentioned Davidson. Davidson's the team the Pirates are definitely familiar with. We actually really felt like um, that was a game we probably should have won or at least could have won um, in that tournament down that was played at the HTC Center there in Conway early, right. in, the, early in the season. But um, what a job Bob McKillop's doing and – and they won a thriller the other day. What that was at VCU, I think. Yeah, close game. They've won 15 in a row. And remember, their best player, Kellen, is now playing for the Kentucky Wildcats. Yep, Kellen Grady. Kellen Grady. And then yep. and then they do have a stud in uh, in Lee. Yes. Well, Coach McKillop always has shooters, going back to Steph. And when I was at Appalachian, going back way before Steph, um, they've always had great shooters. Obviously, they're smart kids, or they couldn't even get in school there. So they understand the game, and he's a great teacher. He's been doing it a long time. He's a heck of a teacher. And uh, if it's close at the end, next time you watch him play, I guarantee you they'll go back door for a layup to beat you down the stretch because I've seen it personally way too many times. That's what they do. And in addition to Davidson, I'm – you look at the – I was looking at the net earlier today on just seeing, you know, who are some of those teams that have good programs but not your household names within college basketball. Um, you see teams like Wyoming, Colorado State. Um, those are some um, – Fresno State and I've forgotten well, Chicago. Foster Coach, they're still pretty darn good. Yeah, they, their net is 18 or 19 yeah. despite, despite Moser leaving to go to Oklahoma. Yeah, they'll get into a regional somewhere. And uh, if there's anybody in that team that hasn't graduated, they know what it's like to get to a Final Four. They've been there, done that. So that's a huge factor no matter who's coaching. Now, Nate, uh, not necessarily there at Coastal. I um, mean, if, the, if there are examples there, then great. But, you know, just through the people that you talk to around college basketball that follow the game, what have you seen in terms of the NIL, uh, name, image, and likeness? Uh, what, what type of thing? What type of agreements have you seen uh, with different businesses? And then also just what type of feedback are you getting from coaches, the way it's impacting things here early on? Well, Coach Ellis calls it the wild, wild west, along with the transfer portal and uh, and that. But I don't know if you, if you follow Coastal Football, but Grayson McCall is their quarterback. And Mr. Tom Brady, you guys probably heard of him, picked nine football players to represent the Brady brand. McCall was one of them. So for Coastal Carolina, a kid, a quarterback to be repping the Brady brand is pretty impressive for nine guys in college football. Um, I don't know if anybody at the, um, in the basketball team for Coastal has anything. I know the offensive line in football got some kind of deal with a limo company, probably <laughs> just to promote him and take him out after a game to get a burger. I don't know. But, um, one of the games this year, we did um, New Year's resolutions. They asked me to list a couple of them. And one of them I said is, please, somehow control this NIL stuff. It's going to get out of control before it's under control. But it looks like the NCAA just went like this. We don't want to mess with it. You guys deal with it. Yeah. And, that, and that's what it, it is. It's crazy. It definitely does appear that way. Um, I've heard – several analysts and coaches saying the same thing that you're saying as far as getting the handle on it. Uh, 
you saw recently when quarterback um, transferring out of Oklahoma, um, Caleb Williams, uh, he was offered supposedly what two million plus to go to UGA. I saw one guy. I can't remember the school, but the, the player's father is a big rap star. The player has a one million dollar endorsement. The coach is making two hundred thousand dollars a year. Come on, yeah. Only that picture. Something's got to change. I, I, you know, I don't know what you can do, with, particularly with these transfer rules. I, I, I think offering a guy X number of dollars to come play, you know, we'll, we'll give you a $2 million deal if you transfer to Georgia or whatever. They, they got to put a stop to that. That crap, I, I don't know how you police it, but you, you've got to you, you got to make these NIL deals only only eligible once you're enrolled. You, you can't use them to entice people to transfer. And I, I don't know how you police it, but it needs to be done. And then the transfer portal, I think they need to go back to sitting out a year unless your coach is fired or he leaves for another job. Well, yeah, I, if, if he coach leaves, you can go wherever you want. I agree. Exactly. Yep. But unfortunately, somebody's going to sign some crazy deal that's ridiculous money, and then the NCAA will say, now nah, wait a minute, maybe we should regulate it. But it's going to get bad before it gets better, I'm afraid, because they over they overreact and they react late to everything, just the way the NCAA is. And Jay Billis is the biggest Mark Emmert uh, critic in the world, and I agree with him 100%. Where is he in all this stuff? I mean, step forward and make, make a statement. But it's like they don't want to mess with it, and they just wiped their hands of it and said, you guys deal with it. It's, it's, well, I want to know. I want to know how these how these fine academic institutions that pride themselves on high academic standards and the student before uh, before athlete like Duke and Northwestern and uh, you know uh, some of the, some of the Vanderbilt, some of those like minded institutions, how they can possibly uh, go along with this, and and uh, it seems like they would be completely against it. Yeah, I agree, but they're not yet. I mean, at least they're not publicly yet. Um, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand any. If I was still coaching, it would drive me bananas because you got to have a coach now to deal with the legal end of this because they have, the kids were signing contracts. They're, I'd be recruiting. If I, was a coach, kinds of stuff. if I was a coach right now, my number one priority for recruiting would be to find a booster or recruit a booster from somewhere else who doesn't have ties to a university. I'd be recruiting some sort of business person to uh, sign NIL deals with players. I mean, that, that should be your number one priority right now as a coach is, is to find some booster, somebody out there that owns a business that's got a lot of money that can offer guys money for you to, to sign some kind of BS deal. I mean, that that really, if I was a coach, that'd be priority number one for me. It's, I never thought about that like that, Kyle, but that's an excellent point because everything's legal right now. Everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's really nuts. Hey, now, guys, uh, here in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking some golf. Um, so it's a natural segue here to kind of bring our next guest in. And, and uh, let's let's uh, bring in former East Carolina golfer, you know, PGA Tour analyst uh, in a variety of uh, platforms, uh, especially on Sirius XM. Uh, he is currently out in California. Uh, welcome into the show, uh, John McGinnis. Are you implying he's the major booster that can that can pay football players? No, but you don't. You, you guys are missing the point. You don't hire a major booster. You hire an well, agent. You don't hire him. You got to recruit him to do it. Major though. booster. You yeah, you got to recruit. Work. You you 
The dirty work needs to be done by the dirty people. You hire an agent to do the dirty work for you, and I got that's you. how you get it done. There you go. There's no well, rules to break because there's no rules. It's crazy. And I'm all for these kids making money, but the situation is going to arise, as, as you said, Nate, where there's going to be a Trevor Lawrence um, or – and I'm trying to think of another. He was our he was the last college absolute superstar. Yeah. We don't have a college superstar right now that you can point to. But when that guy comes along, or gal for that matter, and, and is worth $10, $20 million in marketing dollars, then somebody's going to take issue with this. But at this point, you know, having having a, a kid make a couple of thousand dollars, $10,000, $20,000, that's just that's just justice after what's been going on with these kids for all of this time, getting nothing. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it nothing. My wife's still paying back student loans. I don't know about y'all, but uh, my wife is too. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't call it nothing. You know, an education is a terrible thing to waste. But uh, no, obviously, uh, I, I get what you're saying. Now, John, uh, go ahead. I, could. I was going to say, I could be wrong. I mean, the, the thing is, that is I host a show three nights a week, five nights a week, and I'm wrong a lot, but I'm not short on opinions. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, I, I'm the same way, uh, though I don't think I'm wrong very often. Um, <laughs> you obviously haven't been married long enough. Ah, I've been married 20 years. I just, you know, I just tell her. I, whenever she has a good point, I just tell her, shut up. I mean, you know. It's, <laughs> I, that's that's the absolute defense uh you know you always heard truth is an absolute defense so shut up you know whenever whenever somebody's right and you're wrong you shut up you know that government seems to be working off that same philosophy right now <laughs> exactly yeah you, know, you, you nailed it that's exactly right if uh if, if you got some kind of facts they don't like just shut up quiet them down tell them they can't talk about it <laughs> hey now john before we talk a variety of topics um, you know, tell our viewers and listeners you know, exactly, you know, when you were in Greenville and, uh, you know, when you were, when you became a pirate. I, I came to ECU in 1986, which makes me old. And I stayed there till 1991, which means I was on the, on the, on the five-year plan that was very prevalent in the 80s. Uh, I, I loved my time there. Unfortunately, uh I mean, being on the golf team at that point in time was not exactly what it is today. Uh, we, we did a good job. But, I mean, we, we were struggling to find a place to, place to practice. I used to hit golf balls in the field that's now a parking lot uh, by the Allied Health Building uh, over by Greenville Boulevard. I mean, we, we, right. we were uh, hardly a celebrated part of the East Carolina athletic department but we were a good we were a good team we made it to uh to the ncaa tournament a, a couple of years there toward the end um i loved it what i loved most about college golf in general was look we played because of our just geography we played against all the best teams on the east coast we golf tournaments uh, in college consist of you know 12 to 16 teams and so we played in Duke's tournament. We played in Carolina's tournament. We played in 
Clemson's tournament, played in Wake Forest, and we played in all those. So I was playing against David Duvall and Len Matisse and, and guys uh, who would go on to, to, to win major champions later on in their career. And uh, although East Carolina as a team, we weren't as competitive, I was getting the greatest sports education that I could get because of that. And uh, I was also getting a social education on those weeks that I was home or those days that I was home. Um, and I managed somehow to squeak in an academic education too, but I will admit to you 30 years later, not exactly the priority at the time. Been there, done that. <laughs> By the way, I majored in English and philosophy. And when I left in 91, there, there weren't a lot of big philosophy firms hiring. So <laughs> I had to turn pro. And uh, fortunately for me, I, I was just good enough to get to the PGA Tour and spend nine years there. And then it turns out that I can go all day long without saying um or swearing. And so since then, for the last wow. 19 years, they allow me to do this, which is just talk. I don't understand it. I keep waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say, no, no, it's over. You know, go, go sell insurance now. But so far, so good. John, I cannot go all day without swearing. I uh, haven't been able to do it my whole life. And according to our other co-host who's not here tonight, I say um a lot on the air. So, uh, you know, uh, how do you not say um? I, I, I've never noticed myself doing it, but according to Mr. Dave Richmond, I say um a lot. So how, how do you keep yourself from saying um, John? I, I didn't do it on purpose. I just realized that not saying anything is better than saying something that you shouldn't say. See, there's silence I, is golden. Um would have fit right there, but nobody said um. Look at us. I, I agree with that. I 100% what you just said. Not saying nothing is better than saying something you shouldn't say or just just rambling to be rambling. I agree with you 100%. I, I, do, I do miss East Carolina. Uh, I have not gotten down there. I just said um. Look at that. Now I'm counting. I haven't been <laughs> down there in a few years because – I have I have a, a kid that graduated from Georgia Tech last May. I have a daughter that's a junior. So your kid's a lot smarter than you. I have a daughter that's a junior at Duke. Oh wow! Okay. And I She's have smarter than your son. <laughs> I'm a 53 year old man with a two year old. Congratulations! Wow. I believe that that's the right that's the right reaction, Nate. There is no <laughs> proper reaction so other than. Have you lost your mind? And the answer is absolutely. Of course I have. John, I got to well, tell you, it's a bloody mind. Was that intentional, John? Was that intentional? It was absolutely intentional. Um, okay. She told me we were going to do it, and that's what we did. <laughs> All right. Well, I got a good friend of mine who found out that I was going to be on with you tonight, and he said, ask John if he remembers this. He called you up on an XM radio show once and said that his girlfriend just broke up with him and he made his first hole-in-one that day. That's and good I said, I, said, well, I said, it could have been worse, Bass. She could have broke up with you and you could have shot 85. Right. Golf, golf has been, for me, always there. Through the good times, through the bad times. Uh, I believe that at, at a certain point in your life, you have to have an escape. And 
unfortunately for me, I turned my escape into my profession. Now it's back to being my escape again, which is, is fabulous. Well, I just finished my 22nd year caddying at the ocean course at Kiwa. No kidding. I've been doing it for 22 years out there, yeah. I was, I was on the ESPN crew last year for the or the, the PGA. Yeah, I worked for CBS as a spotter that week. It was a ball. It was an amazing, amazing week. It was a lot of fun. But, yeah, I've been out there 22 years. So that's my summer job. My winter job is basketball. So do you see Bobby Brown out there at all? Rarely. Yeah, he used to spend a lot of time out there, I, yeah. I, I know. And then, of course, he's on the road every single yeah. week because he caddies for a guy. He caddies for Sun J.M., who literally plays every week the PGA Tour yeah. offers an event. He plays 33, 34 events a year. When Bobby was caddying for Dustin Johnson and working 20 weeks a year, he probably got to spend a little more time out there. Yeah, no, you know, when you said Bobby Brown, I immediately meant with uh, – I immediately thought – Bobby Brown is in my prerogative. That's not the Bobby Brown of which you speak. Not the Bobby. I don't think that Bobby Brown caddies. Although probably not. No. Although you never know, <laughs> he could be caddying somewhere. It's possible. I heard him say one time, "Crack is whack." Yeah, so, you don't know what he has to do now. <laughs> now, John, you referenced um, just a few months ago the the near decade that you spent on the tour. I'm sure there's some tremendous stories, a lot that cannot be told, but um, what are some of those that you can share, you know, um, be it a favorite memory of certain events or uh, maybe uh, somebody that you were paired with in a, on a Sunday? The, the people, the, the thing that, that this sport does that I'm in is, the, is bring people together. And in, when you're on the PGA Tour, that means it brings some pretty interesting people together. Playing at Pebble Beach, for example, in the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am, the golf is unique in this regard. That week and this week, I'm, I'm at the American Express in Palm Springs. Amateurs are playing with professionals while the professionals are playing for the title, for the perks, for the points. For, so, so this is the only sport that I know of where an amateur with the right amount of money can literally walk shoulder to shoulder with a, a professional doing his sport. And I met some fascinating people in that regard. The last pro-am partner that I had at Pebble Beach was a guy that, I mean, I thought he was interesting. He had a cool house. He served great wine at his house on top of the hill above Pebble Beach and was in the process of selling his company. Stayed in touch with him. It turns out, his name is now, his name is Jim Crane. Jim Crane owns the Houston Astros. He has since bought the Houston Astros. Wow. Um, you know, th this is a guy that I spent three days walking with, three nights having dinner with, and have stayed in touch with. I mean, I, I'm, I'm at this tournament here, uh, as I said, here's another example. This tournament used to be a big celebrity tournament when Bob Hope was, was playing, and I was – Fortunate enough to have a, a pretty good day uh, on a Saturday. We used to play five rounds, and the amateurs played played four rounds. And I walked into uh, PGA private course clubhouse, and there's a bar in the locker room that also cuts through into the, the men's grill. Well, I just walked into the locker room. I just wanted a beer to go out and hit some practice spots in the evening. 
And I said, can I get a Bud Light? And he said, no, I'm sorry, but we're out. And I said, can I get a Miller Light? And he said, no, I'm sorry, we're out. I'm like, what's going on? He said, walk through that door. I walked through that door and Charles Barkley has Michael Jordan in a headlock with Emmett Smith giving the count. Uh, there, there were a few tour players, Tommy Armour III and several, and several others, but they had gotten finished and they did what guys do. They went to the locker room to have some beers where nobody else can, can get to them. And it was hysterical, by the way. I don't know how you get out of a headlock when Charles Barkley has you in a headlock, but uh, but Michael did. It was hysterical. They'd been sitting there drinking beer, just being guys for an hour or two. Uh, the only thing that they were doing that uh, the people, good people of California probably wouldn't appreciate it is the entire place was filled with cigar smoke, uh, which I can't imagine you were ever allowed to smoke indoors in California. And now you're not even allowed to breathe indoors in California. So uh, <laughs> it, it is what it is. It's it, well, it was, you can breathe indoors in California. You just have to wear a mask. You, you have to wear a mask everywhere. I'm in my own hotel room right now and violating the mask policy. I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, I'm calling the law. <laughs> Well, they, they, they came to my house on Fifth Street there in Greenville a few times back in the day. I know how to deal with the law. If, if, if your parties got out of hand, John? We had a good time. I, I, I loved it there. Uh, I, I'm still close. I, I moved to Wilmington a year and a half ago, and two of my roommates from East Carolina owned businesses in Wilmington. And so we make it a point to get together for beers a couple times a month or at least once a month just, just to – catch up we actually lost one of our roommates a few years ago because that's what happens when you get older and there, there's a nostalgia you guys know i mean the best years of your life are in college i spent nine years on the pga tour and the best years of my life were in college you know uh that that's the way that it should be remembered that's the way that it should feel as you get older no yeah i agree uh, john let me ask you something people ask me this when i tell you all the time how good are these PGA guys? And they're ridiculous. But how can you explain to somebody to the and most of the people we carry for cheat to shoot 120 every time? Right. But how can you how do you and I I and I talk for a living. I'm at a loss to explain how ridiculously talented the guys that everybody watches on TV are. How can you explain it? Or how do you explain it? It's the thing is, is it, it's unrelatable now. It was relatable back in the day. The, I, I walked the TPC, uh, the uh, Pete Dye Stadium course today. Sorry, I've been talking all day. The Pete Dye Stadium course today uh, with the best players in the world and, and amateurs. And I played this golf course 25 years ago. And what's happened to the game at the top level in those 25 years is astounding and you can you can certainly say equipment has had a lot to do with that but the physique of the players when i was on tour i was six feet tall and i was one of the bigger players on tour and now six three six four six five is the standard the arc the ability to create speed these guys i was i, I was on the pga tour in 1996 i was not an athlete these guys are all athletes. Tiger Woods was an athlete, when, and I played with him right out of college. He was a skinny little athlete then, but he was an athlete. 
these guys are athletes now. They're, they're in the gym every single day. They're creating speed. They're creating uh, fast twitch muscle fiber. I don't know what the hell that is, but I'm pretty sure I wasn't given a full compliment of it. I mean, these are these are athletes doing very athletic things in a in a non-athletic setting. Well, this is the way I explain it to somebody by picking one example. You know how windy it was at Kiwa in the PGA. Yeah. I'm awesome. walking with Saturday morning, I'm walking with Kevin Streelman's group. Number two is the par five. He's 272 from the green. He's into the wind, and I'm 15 feet from him. He looks at his caddy, and he pulls a hybrid out of the bag. I'm saying, well, that's to myself, I'm saying that's nice, but there's no way he's going over the green. The pin was on the back right, into the wind, and he hits a hybrid 15 feet from the pin. And the guys that, that play that golf course every day, they can't imagine that. Right. That's, that's how I relate to how good they were. It's, it's, it, it's like us playing pickup basketball and comparing ourselves to the NBA. True. It's true. Uh, now, there, I'm looking at the four of us on this screen, and <laughs> not all of us can get up and down the court very very often. Uh, maybe two laps, maybe three. And I'm pretty sure Kyle and I are just playing offense at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm playing horse, baby. <laughs> That's that's it. I ain't running. If if so, if I'm running, please help me because somebody is chasing my ass. <laughs> if, if it involves running up and down the court, it, it, it ain't happening. I'm I got a. Uh, I'm just gonna you know if, if y'all want to go ahead and play like a little uh competitive game, <laughs> not one on one. It would be on uh three on three there, uh, or I don't know how you'd say that. It'd be a three way dance in basketball. I'm gonna go ahead and put my money on Bubba. Uh, just from an athletic standpoint, uh, Nate, I'm sure you're a good shooter. But just from a pure athleticism standpoint, I got my money on Bubba. <laughs> Nate has a little look to him that, boy, I'm going to date my – I bet Nate's not even old enough to remember this, but he's got a little look of set shot Buford from the uh, fish that saved Pittsburgh back in 1976. That's a movie before you guys were born. Not before so, I was born, sir. Uh, but uh, Pittsburgh yeah. actually won – the World Series with Willie Stargell that year. They won the, the Super Bowl with Terry Bradshaw. And then there was a movie about an NBA team. Dr. That, J. The, the, yeah, Dr. J was in the movie. Yeah. And they had they had a guy that could shoot from anywhere, but it was a set shot. You guys don't even know what a set shot is, but he was set shot Buford. Uh, Nate, you can tell him that John McGinnis gave you the nickname set shot Buford. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. Could hey, John, let's uh, bring it back to East Carolina. And you talk about guys in this day and age on the golf course, HV3. Uh, mm. What a what a career he's having. And, you know, a lot of top fives and top ten finishes. And, you know, he's searching for that uh, that elusive first victory. But, you know, just talk about what Harold's doing. Well, first of all, uh, to know Harold is to love Harold. And if you if you ever met him – then you feel like you're a friend of his. And he, he just does that. That's what he does. He doesn't do it on purpose. It's just who he is. He's one of the nicest guys uh, that, that the, the world has ever created, that the Pirates have ever created, that golf has ever created. Harold is that guy. And he's the right guy 
for the right time. He understands that as an African-American on the PGA Tour, he, he stands out. But he stands out in so many ways that are more important than that. He makes that a, a non-issue, but he's willing to talk about it, happy to talk about it. Harold Barner's foundation is raising more money and changing more lives than just about any other player on the PGA Tours uh, foundations. And he hasn't won yet. Imagine if Harold Varner wins a Masters or wins a U.S. Open, the impact that he's going to have, because it just keeps expanding. Uh, it's incredible. It's, it's fun to be a fan of his. It's even more fun to be a friend of his. I can't say enough nice things uh, about Harold Varner, but the world's figuring that out too. He has the kind of star power that if he can become – the type of star playing on the PGA tour that I believe he can, because he has the talent, he has the length, he has the putting stroke. He just needs that breakthrough win. He could be one of those transcendental sports stars that goes beyond just whatever his sport is, where people know him beyond the, beyond the sport. And, and I'm not talking like a tiger or an MJ, but like a David Beckham, like a, you know, one of those guys who, are stars in a sport that I don't watch, but I know who they are. That's the kind of guy Harold Barter is. Yeah, and to speak to that on a on a obviously a local level, I'm not a golf guy at all. But because of HP3's involvement in East Carolina athletics to this day, he's close to the football program. He gives back to the university. You know, I, I will follow what HV3 is doing. So he's captured me as a non-golf fan that just loves East Carolina, and I love him because he's a pirate. He gives back to the university. So you're right. You know, if he starts winning and people realize what he's doing uh, from a fundraising standpoint to help people, uh, yeah, he could become very beloved and popular amongst people that, you know, like you said, compared him to Beckham or maybe a, another good example would be somebody like, um, oh, God, I just I just had a brain fart. Um, skateboard guy, um, Tony Hawk. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah, so something like that that just – a guy who, you know, people know who he is even if they don't follow the sport and they respect him is what I'm trying to say. Netflix is getting ready to do a series on golf the way that they did on Formula One. And I've got to be honest with you. I didn't watch the Formula One series that was inside Formula the Formula One drivers, but apparently it was tremendous. It won all the awards. And they're about to do that with, uh, I believe it's 18 golfers. And – I haven't seen Harold's name involved in it, but it should be if it's not. And uh, hopefully that'll be another avenue for him to, to continue to get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, as far as HV3 is concerned, uh, so it seems so approachable and so likable. And he's really just embracing and enjoying the ride. Um, unfortunately, I've not been able to get out to Greensboro, Charlotte, when he's been playing in those events. But um, definitely look forward to, hopefully, in the very near future. Well, come on to Greensboro. Uh, we, we would love to have you in uh, August this year. It's not hot in Greensboro in August. I promise it's not any hotter than it is in Pitt County. I spent four summers in summer school there, and I believe Pitt County is actually below sea level because it's the hottest. Greenville is the hottest place I've ever been in August. Yeah. Uh, it Greenville. gets warm. Go ahead, Kyle. No, nah, I was just going to echo what he said. It gets warm. Uh, nothing like a Labor Day weekend 12 noon kickoff for the start of college football season in Greenville. 
to uh, just, you know, make you question why the hell you do this. <laughs> yeah, carry, carry two bags at the ocean course with a white jumpsuit on in August. That's a fun day. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, so um, here recently you had the, the father-son event mm. um, that, that took place down in Orlando. Um, that was so much fun to watch, and that was really the first golf that I that I had watched in uh, a while. But uh, that was was a lot of fun watching Tiger and Charlie battle John Daly and Little John. Uh, I was in the Bahamas two weeks before when Tiger just – out of nowhere, he had he had posted. If you if you look at the chronology, the week before he had posted a video of him making one golf swing, and then during his tournament, the Hero World Challenge down there in the Bahamas, he actually was filmed. The Golf Channel caught him hitting golf balls, and we thought, well, maybe is he really going to 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 play the father son? And of course, I of course was pitching, hey. Who doesn't want to be in Orlando in December anyway? Uh, can, can I go? He's going to play, and they're like, "No, no, we're not. We're not sending you." Uh, but him playing and him playing with Charlie—I mean, that was how, how could we not watching that be emotional? Because we didn't know if we'd ever see him play golf again, and then here he is playing with his son, and then. Oh, by the way, he's starting to play vintage Tiger. He's, he's hitting iron shots to 10 feet. They're making putts. They're having a blast. I've known John Daly for 25 years now. And I, I guess I've known Tiger for almost as long. But I've had a lot more fun with John Daly. And the fact of the matter is John Daly's son is probably going to be on the PGA Tour one day. And the fact that Charlie and Tiger could compete with them was was amazing. Uh, I thought that it was the best PNC I've ever seen. Um, I'm friends with a lot of people who, who participate in it. I mean, what, what more could you say than, look, this is another thing that's just unique to golf. We're not going to see – Aaron Rodgers throw throw a pass to one of well, he's the, Tom Brady throw a pass to one of his kids. You know, we're not going to see LeBron feeding his son. We might actually see that at some point in time, but you know where I'm going with this. This is this is unique to this sport. I mean, golf, hunting, and fishing are pretty much the only sports I know of that you can be outside and you can do them for your entire lives and that that bring generations together. And it's really cool to be a part of, of one of those. I'm terrible at the other two, but I'm happy to go and participate with you. John, let me ask you if, if I can. In basketball, it's so appreciative we are to have people in the stands again because last year was crazy. How did PGA guys, are they? I know they're appreciative, but how weird was it with nobody there as they're playing a golf tournament? I did the Masters last year for radio, and there was nobody there. And that was – I mean, this is the, the coolest golf tournament on the planet. Yep. And there was nobody there. I did the U.S. Open when, when Bryson won. I'm walking with Matt Wolf and Bryson in the final group, and it's me and a couple of agents and, uh, I mean, a few members, and that's it. 
and there should be you know twenty thousand people following this this group. So to have the have the galleries back is is incredible. They're even allowing galleries here this week in, in Southern California. I know they're going to allow them next week. There's been rumors that the the Super Bowl may get moved out of L.A. Hopefully we're past that now because how in the hell could it be possible that it's unsafe to have a Super Bowl in L.A., but it's safe to have it in Dallas? You, you can explain the politics to me all you want, but you can't explain that logic to me. Uh, so it's great to have the fans back. Look, we're an outdoor sport. You know, we're, we're not in an arena. My, my daughter is at every Duke basketball game. She will be at every Duke basketball game for the rest of the year. She's a, a junior. She's she, she puts on her mask. She puts on her her wig and and her clothes, and she's a she's a Cameron crazy. Couldn't be prouder. Uh, but but I'm, we're an outdoor sport. You know we're safe, and thank God the world has realized that people can gather outdoors because we're outdoors. Yeah. Well, there's no election right now. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you and I need to meet at Chico's and have a beer sometime. I think we're going to get along just fine. Yeah, uh, most most likely, John. I would imagine we probably got some similar thoughts. Yeah, and you know, I wouldn't get into all that. But uh, I, I had a golf-related question for you, um, which is uh, which is not the easiest thing for me to come up with because yeah, I just this is not my sport. No, no offense at all. I respect everybody who can do it at a high level or even a moderately high level because I can't. Um, it, the Masters. One thing I know about the Masters is cheap sandwiches. What is the deal with that? What what is what is the deal with the tradition of ridiculously cheap sandwiches? Well, it's not just sandwiches; it's everything. Uh, because look, this is the only event of its kind in in all of sports where not only are the players invited to participate, but the gallery is invited to be there too. You, you can't go buy a ticket to the Masters. Now, you can. They're making digital – the digital world we live in is making that a lot more difficult and a lot yeah. more expensive. So good luck to you with it. But this is their club. However many members they have, let's say it's 150, they're richer than the four of us put together. The people that work for them are the richer than the four of us, but one person working for them is richer than the four of us put together. And, and so they're not trying to make money. They're trying to, to open their doors. This is their home. This is their club. This is my take on it, getting to do it. And, and they want you to feel like a guest, whether you're playing in the tournament, caddying in the tournament, or, or just getting to see it for the first time or – one of those lucky people who's had tickets for 30 years. They want you to feel like their guest and they wear their green coats and they are accessible. If you're walking down the 11th fairway and you see somebody in a green coat, you can ask that person a question. That person may be the CEO of Megacorp, but they will answer your question. Then that's the coolest thing about the masters is that you, you feel like, a guest at a very nice party. And that's why you don't hear you demand when players hit shots and you don't hear any of the crap you hear at any of the other tournaments. There's very few grandstands. It's, it's incredibly civilized. And 
it's the kind of thing that if you ever, I, I don't care if you, if you hate golf, you can hate golf. And yet you should still give it, if you get the opportunity, go to the masters because you can't, you can't, I can't put it into words what it feels like to be there. You can, you can walk that property in amazement and not even care about the golf and, and be in awe. These are, this is just to, to finish that conversation. This, I don't know, it's weird the things that interest me. I am a big boy, though. That kind of makes sense. Um, uh, here's some prices. These are uh, sandwich prices for the Masters. Uh, April, uh, this is updated April uh, 2021. Egg salad, $1.50. Pimento cheese, $1.50. Barbecue, $3. The Masters Club, $2.50. Classic chicken sandwich, $3. Chicken, chicken, uh, uh, some kind of chicken on brioche, $2. Uh, ham and cheese on rye, $2.50. Turkey and cheese on wheat, $2.50. I mean, that's 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 like prices from 1987. The ham and cheese on rye is to die for. But the best thing you can do, Kyle, and because they're so cheap, we can all afford to do this. You take the barbecue ch- or the, the fried chicken sandwich. You get you a pimento cheese sandwich. Ah, nice. Yeah, you see where I'm yep. going with this. Yeah, you, you, you get rid of one piece of bread. You put the pimento cheese on the fried chicken. I'm actually yeah, getting better having this conversation right now, <laughs> but not nearly yeah. as fat because I can tell you, as good as those prices are that you're describing, and by the way, beers are two dollars as well, and they don't. Nice. It's just they, they only have three options for beer. They have light beer, they have regular beer, and they have imported beer. They're not going to tell you. It just those are your three options. Do you want a light beer? Do you want a, a, a regular beer? Or do you want an imported <laughs> beer? They're not going to give you any more clue than that. Wow. Nobody's paying them to advertise their beer. So they're not going to tell you whose beer, but it's all good. Um, but the price is in the media center. And it's the nicest media center in all of sports. I, I haven't been in all of them. But if there's a nicer media center in in the sports world than the one that uh, they created at Augusta National, I'm dying to see it. And everything in there is pretty. Nice. Now, John, you talk about how Augusta National is, uh, you know, bucket list type item uh, or destination, I should say. You know, and just in addition to Augusta National, you think of other courses like Pebble Beach and the old course at St. Andrews. Uh, so. What are your memories or your thoughts on some of those courses? And then maybe also give us a course or two that's maybe under the radar a bit, but it's one that our viewers should, should give a try. The, the cool thing about golf is that we get to play where the pros play. And, you know, I, I guess you could play tennis in Flushing Meadows or at Wimbledon, but it, it's not the same. Uh Pebble Beach is my favorite golf course on the planet. Uh, Cypress Point right around the corner, which is almost as exclusive as Augusta, uh, is certainly is certainly on that list. Uh, but the, I think the best thing about living in our state, in the state of North Carolina, is the variety of incredible golf that we have because we have everything from, from the coast uh, through – Pinehurst, look, let's, let's face it, the sand hills of North Carolina, the center of North Carolina that kind of runs Greenville, Pinehurst, all those counties, 
Fayetteville, that's not pretty land. That's that's land that doesn't have a whole lot of hills. And yet they built Pinehurst with nine golf courses and not mentioned Pine Needles and, and, and all of the other golf courses around it. That's incredible. Uh, and then you can go up to the mountains and see some of the great golf courses, uh, mountain golf courses. And we're talking about different types of grass. Uh, I'm not answering your question very well, uh, but the, the point is, there, there's incredible golf all over our state. I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna get to a conversation about different kinds of grass, and we were gonna go <laughs> directions with the podcast. And I was getting excited. Well, no, um, I, I, I believe that, you know at a certain age, you just got to switch to the gummies. It's just healthier. Ha, true. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Better for your lungs. Yeah, better for everything. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Sorry. I, uh, oh, no, pro- no problem. Man. That do. was uh, not a bad answer well, at all. No, it wasn't the answer I was looking for as far as – but you, na- you named several golf courses and a, lo- a lot uh, that I may or may not have been aware of. So, no, that that was great. And uh, the old course at St. Andrews, um, hmm. Talk a little about that, if if you can. I'm just that's one I've always enjoyed watching the Open Championship and that course in particular. And I think just the road hole and then 18 um, with with the bridge. That's kind of a bucket list item for me. This year is the 150th uh, British Open, and it's at St Andrews. Uh, and I didn't get to play St Andrews. Until about 10 years ago, I never went over there for a British Open. So uh, I took this bucket list trip. And then as soon as I did it with listeners from the radio show, we put these trips on uh, to Ireland and Scotland through the radio show. As soon as I did it, I I came back and I I was about to turn 50 uh, the next year. And I got a group of 16 and we all went back for my 50th birthday and played 10 days in, in Scotland. For, for a golfer, uh, walking up the 18th or w- walking out of the first, and, and when I say out of, it, you've seen it on television or, or in pictures, the first hole and the 18th hole run parallel, and they're in the middle of town. Literally, town surrounds them. So you play from town out to a point, a very windy and cold and bitter point, and I suggest you take some whiskey with you uh, and, and you make a loop and then you come back and you play your way literally back in the town. Old Tom Morris, the, the first winner of the British Open, fell down a set of steps and died. He was in his 80s, I believe. Um, right there at his golf shop, which is right next to the 18th hole uh, at St. Andrews. I can't make that up. I mean that that's just the lure. The that that's what happened. Look, golf is is I guess it's cool now because so many cool people are playing it, but the history of golf is is fascinating. And that's where the history of golf starts, right there at St. Andrews. So if you ever get a chance to go, go. It 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 will it's transformative. 
John, I had a follow-up question to that. What is the worst golf course you've ever seen in your life? Any golf course I can't break par on is the answer to that question. Uh, it's like, you know, who's the ugliest woman you ever met? The one that said no. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, it's all subjective. Uh, you know, there's golf courses on the PGA Tour that, that I hated and wouldn't go back to. It would be unfair to name them since I get paid to go walk those fairways now and talk about how great they are. And look, I'm cheap, Kyle. I, I mean, I'll be, I will, I will happily lie to you at any given time if the money's right because I'm a broadcaster and that's what we do. You know, right. Nate will tell you how good that defense is and then go to commercial and say, are you kidding me? How can you leave that man open? Have you not guarded the back door all night long? But he can't say that on the broadcast because he's friends with the coach. That's how that works. You are correct. Uh, <laughs> Nate said, you are correct. Uh, John, I had a question about your analogy you just made a minute ago. You said the ugliest woman you've ever seen is the one that said no. Now, see, yes. I do not apply that strategy. I don't want to tell people I was turned down by an ugly woman. Because first of all, why am I asking an ugly woman? And uh, secondly, to, to be turned, I, I'm going to tell the story. She was the most beautiful woman in the world. I was shooting my shot, and she just shot me down. But, you know, she was out of my league anyway. See, I, I never believed there was anybody out of my league, Kyle. And perhaps that's uh, a, a bit of delusion uh, on my part. But no. I also, yeah, I, I can tell you, I'm visually impaired, John, but I'm I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's delusional. Here, here's the thing, Kyle. Uh, I, I was not always old and fat, but uh, when I was in East Carolina, and I, and I blame my current profession on this, I never learned to be a closer. There were six women for every guy on campus when I was there. Oh yeah, close, baby. We, we didn't close. we didn't have to learn to close. We had to learn. That if this one ain't working, you just move on. Yeah, and well, that's I a good strategy. Like too. That's where the East Carolina education might failed me, because I would have been a hell of an insurance salesman. That's what I got into when I stopped playing. And then my agent called and said, "Do you have any interest in being a, a golf broadcaster?" And I was like, "No, are you kidding me?" And I'm going to tell a story here if we have time. Um, he said, "Look." The first week they want you to work is Thursday, Friday coverage. It's on USA Network. It's Dearborn, Michigan for the Senior Players Championship. You fly in on Wednesday afternoon. You fly out on Friday afternoon. You spend two nights at the Ritz-Carlton. You're on the air from four to six, and they're going to pay you five grand. And I was like, you know what? I think I could do that. You know, I'll I'll do that. And so the next week was the uh, Buick Open. And also in Michigan, uh, ironically enough, but on a different tour. And, and I walk with Tiger on Friday, and I'm in a sling. I have just recently had elbow surgery. That's how I ended up with the, with, in the broadcast profession. And this is my second week of a two-week stint. I am finished after this. And this is 2004, and I, I say I, I've got to interview Tiger. And I can tell that Tiger's in a, in a really good mood. I can't tell you the story that leads up to me knowing that he's in a good mood, but he was walking down the steps and he picked on me in a way that only guys can pick on each other. And I knew he was in a good mood. So I knew I could ask him a, a really terrible question or two. And I asked him this, the worst question Tiger Woods ever got asked in his broadcast or in, in his golf career. Tiger, we all know you're getting married soon. How's that going to affect your fishing? 
2004. I've got Lance Barrow, who won 19 Emmy Awards in my in my ear for football and the lead, he was the lead producer for CBS on football and golf. This man's a genius. And I have just pissed him off by asking the worst question he's ever heard. And Tiger spends 90 seconds answering the question about spear fishing in the island, how he and Elon do that together, how when there's blood in the water, there's a lot of trust involved. I mean, it was an incredible answer. And John Cook yeah. and Bill McAtee are in the booth together. And as soon as I say, thank you, Tiger, that was awesome. Uh, John Cook looks at Bill McAtee and says, somebody give that man a contract. Tiger just said more than he's ever said to any of us ever. And that's how I became a broadcaster. And nice. ironically enough, I got back to the TV compound thinking I had screwed up. And my producer from USA Network was there and said, what are you doing the next 11 weeks? And I, my answer was, thank God I'm not selling insurance. <laughs> Now, John, speaking of broadcasting, and we know you have a long weekend ahead of you, so a couple more things, and then we'll uh, wrap this up. But uh, you know, tell folks how things are going out there. I know round one was today, and some some pretty low numbers. Uh, the the thing is about this golf tournament that I'm covering out here, the American Express in Palm Springs, is that it's three different. You know, play, the pros play three different golf courses before the cut. Um, it's a great way to, to sort of work your way into the year. The exciting part of this is that PGA Tour Live, which is the digital component of the PGA Tour, started their partnership with ESPN uh, this year, so in the last couple of weeks. And we're doing four different live golf streams every morning uh, on ESPN+. Plus. And I, I'm a part of what they call the main broadcast. And then there's featured holes and featured groups and it's a massive endeavor and I'm working with a whole lot of people who's just, who are just puckered up at every possible orifice right now, making sure that we can launch this because all PGA tour live was before was one simple stream and now it's four. And so far after day one, it, 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 was, it, was, great. it was incredibly well received. My, my phone buzzed all day while I was out there. So people were actually watching and that's just really cool. If you would, um, you know, tell folks how they can follow you on social media as well as uh, hear the podcast that you're a part of and, and uh, you know, SiriusXM. I do the SiriusXM show from 4 to 6, Monday through Wednesday Eastern uh, on PGA Tour Radio. It's called Catrick and McGinnis on Tap. It used to be called McGinnis on Tap. And then we added uh, this knucklehead that I work with, and we have a blast. We don't take things too seriously. We answer the serious questions when we have to, but – we believe golf is a game and it's played by people who like to smile. Uh, plus, at that time of day, there's a lot of people stuck in horrible traffic. You don't need to hear about how bad things are. You want to hear how good things are. So uh, there and uh, PGA Tour Live, ESPN, uh, at the majors that they cover. Uh, basically, if you have a microphone and you need somebody to talk into it, I will talk into it and get paid. <laughs> I, I don't know if I told you, I'm paying tuition at Duke right now. My tuition at East Carolina in 1989 was $1,200 for the year. That You know how many books that buys at Duke now? Two. I think I got, I think I got two books for $1,200 last year. Uh, so um, I, I am a broadcaster for hire. 
Wow. What is tuition at Duke? You don't want to know, Kyle. It's seventy six thousand dollars. That's a lot. <laughs> well, I hope she does well and gets a job making a lot of money, and uh, it's worth all that uh, you're, you're putting in. I'm, I'm terribly proud. I'm incredibly proud. Uh, maybe I, I do have one more that I can send to East Carolina, and this one's going to be a golfer. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe Kevin Williams will still be there. In yeah. You mentioned Kevin Williams. Totally meant to bring uh, Coach Williams up. I spoke to him just a few days ago. You know, he was very complimentary of yourself and just talking about how much he enjoys um, the work you do uh, on Sirius XM and so forth. But, you know, talk about Coach Williams. And um, he's an East Carolina guy through and through. Uh, all I can tell you uh, about Coach Williams is I would have loved to have played for him. And that's the highest compliment I can give a college coach. I would have loved to have played for Coach Williams because he strikes the, the fabulous balance of this is how hard you have to work to be good at this. And, oh, by the way, it's still a game. And I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, that miss that second mark way too wide. There's no reason why you can't put in a 10-hour day, a 12-hour day, and still have fun doing it. You're hitting a golf ball, for God's sake. You know, you're, yeah. you're getting better at your chipping. You're, you're getting better at your putting. And I, I really believe Coach Williams has adapted with the times. He's learned all the technological things that you have to learn, you know, in terms of ball speed and spin and all the things that they can do, uh, like they can in all other sports. Uh, but, but he also – understands that these are kids and this is a game and, and at the end most of them aren't going to end up on the PGA Tour they're going to end up doing something else and this is a part of their life that's going to inform the rest of that part of their lives Very well said um, well again we appreciate the time and we look forward to having you back on down the road you know, late, later this year uh, to preview some of those uh, major events. I, I will be more than happy to come on. I'm working the Masters for radio, the PGA for ESPN, the, uh, the the U.S. Open for radio, and don't know about the British Open, so I'll be more than happy to come back on anytime. And by the way, now that I know you guys, I'm coming to a football game next fall. I want some good. I want good parking and good seats. That's all I'm asking for. Sounds good. We will see what we can do. And, and, and if the guy calls me big guy, <laughs> we'll get Maloney. I'm going to believe him. Well, he calls everybody big guy. Yeah. Big guy. He calls me big guy. <laughs> I really can't thank you guys enough for having me. What a, what a pleasure to, to walk down memory lane for a little while. Take care, John. Have an excellent weekend. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, guys. Excellent chat there with former Pirate golfer and current Sirius XM PGA Tour, uh, you know, radio co-host uh, John McGinnis. What a personality! And uh, you know, guys, speaking of personalities in the uh, in the business and broadcasting industry, we lost a great one here uh, in the last day or so uh, with Ron Franklin of ESPN. Yeah, everybody remembers Empire Nation and Ron Franklin calling the Peach Bowl. Um, and uh, 
you know, he had a lot of great calls over the years, but if you're a pirate, the, the 91 Peach Bowl actually played January 1st, 92. Um, you, you know that game. You probably own that game on DVD now at this point, or maybe you still have your old VHS. But uh, Rob Franklin uh, will be missed. Yeah, you think about the Peach Bowl instantly. Um, what a tandem he and Mike Gottfried were in the booth. Um, in addition to that Peach Bowl on January 1st of 92, um, you also had the 96 win down at Miami. Uh, when the Pirates took care of the Hurricanes 31-6. to um, They were on the call that night, a primetime game on ESPN. And then Ron Franklin, um, I believe it was Ed Cunningham he was paired with, but they did the Conference USA Championship game in 2009 against Houston. And also – Wow, I forgot about that, Bubba. Yep. <laughs> so, you remember that uh, excellent call when Van Askridge had the Van introduction. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I forgot he called that game, but I do. Uh, I, I was obviously at that game in Greenville uh, when the Pirates beat Houston for the conference championship, but I, I do have that game uh, recorded either on VHS or DVD. I was in 09, and uh, yeah, I forgot Ron Franklin was on that call. And this afternoon, I actually uh, put a few of those clips together, and uh, let's check out those uh, clips from the late Ron Franklin right now. Big third down situation for East Carolina. One forty left in the ball game. Pass is caught. Fisher will score. David in an angry Goliath on primetime. Well, here. Hi, everybody. Rod Franklin, and welcome to Saturday primetime. And we've got exactly that kind of game here in the Orange Bowl tonight. For Miami, the question is, have they gotten over that disturbing loss to Florida State last week? Some of the coaches are still talking about it. They better not be looking ahead to next week, West Virginia game, because East Carolina, very much a giant killer. Last year, they came from behind, three touchdowns down, and upset Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Earlier this year, on the road, Mike Gottfried in Morgantown, they went for two. They were unsuccessful, but they were very close to beating West Virginia. Bubba, obviously, uh, everybody knows those calls. Right? They're very famous calls by uh, Ron Franklin, and uh, he will be greatly missed, not only by Pirate Nation, but anybody who watched college football on ESPN over the last uh, you know, 30 years. And uh, guys, uh, or Bubba, uh, you know, it's a one-man show here at this point. There you go, Bubba. You back? No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um Thought Nate was going to hang with us. Maybe he had some technical difficulties, but appreciate Nate Ross coming on once again, and I will have Nate on here in the 
very near future uh, to talk some hoops before March Madness rolls around. And a couple more things, East Carolina football-related, Kyle, before we wrap this up and get out of here, what's been an excellent show tonight here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, Skip Holtz, uh, former East Carolina coach from 2005 to 2009, uh, the new USFL, uh, needed some head coaches, and the Birmingham Stallions tabbed Skip to be their new head coach. Yeah, uh, you know, I good for Skip. I I don't like the USFL's business model with playing all the games uh, in Birmingham. At least that was planned early on. I do like this is going to be a spring summer league versus a winter league. We're ending in the spring, as we'll start the spring into the summer. I do like that. I don't like them doing season one all in Birmingham. I, you know, you're going to have teams from different markets all playing their games in Birmingham this year. I think that's pretty stupid. Um, also, don't like some of the markets they're going in. They 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 these teams seem to do this every time they start off these pro leagues. They go to Birmingham. They go to these cities that that don't have NFL teams, or in some cases, they have an NFL team. It, it, to me, they choose a lot of the wrong markets, and it's very unoriginal. Um, you know, maybe maybe throw instead of going to Birmingham, why don't we see what Raleigh would do? You know, I know they had a World League team for five minutes back in the eighties, but uh, it, it's you know nobody's going to give a damn about any. USFL team in Birmingham. It's just not going to happen. And uh, I, I just wish there was some more creativity in these markets they choose. But I do like the business model for the USFL, the spring, summer. I think that's very smart. Um, man, I hope Skip does well with the Stallions. By the way, terrible name. Uh, moving on to some other East Carolina football-related news. Uh, Jalen Johnson, uh, former Georgia wide receiver, uh, he walked on to the Bulldogs program, earned a scholarship, um, had an increasing role um, You know, every season with Georgia. Didn't have a ton of receptions, but don't let that fool you. If you watch this guy's film um, from what he did in practice against you know, one of the best, if not the best defense in the country um, in, in recent years, uh, you'll certainly be very excited about Jalen Johnson becoming a Pirate. Uh, Stephen Igo of Horse to Colors broke that news earlier this afternoon. And I'm um, very excited to see a guy with some flexibility to play the slot or out on the outside, 6'2", uh, right around 190 pounds. Yeah, we need some receiver help. Uh, we, we need to we need to be hitting the transfer portal up for another receiver or two, in my opinion. I, I think that's a place we have – um, not done the best job recruiting uh, in recent years, which is very odd. It's an easy position to recruit, and and we have a lot of tradition with great receivers. And maybe that's kind of the reason it's been neglected, is it is so easy to recruit. But uh, uh, with with Tyler Sneed leaving, and uh, and some other guys graduating, uh, now it really is a one man show. Ah, Bubba's back. But uh, we we definitely need some help at wide receiver with Sneed, like I said, with Sneed leaving, and some uh, other guys graduating, and. Uh, he'll help, and hopefully we'll get another uh, receiver or two out of the transfer portal before uh, before we play ball this fall. Yep, um, definitely. Um, and then um, final thing that I had um, connected to East Carolina football. Obviously, Blake Prohl, you know, elected to go pro following the 2020 season and earned that um, free agent deal with the the Vikings. Um, it seemed like he's well on his way to making the roster and then unfortunately suffered an injury. But um, everything we're hearing that he's bouncing back well, uh, still part of that organization, and hopefully Blake will be back healthy. But in addition to 
uh, doing so well on the football field. Um, Blake, uh, I think you're aware of this, Kyle. Uh, he's an excellent singer. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny here. I guess it was right before Christmas, so just over a month ago, um, he played a little bit of a joke on his grandma. And, you know, he sang, sang and uh, played a little bit on the piano. And um, take a listen. I think you'll be very impressed with what Blake Prohl can do, um, both on the piano and behind a mic. No, you mind if I play the piano? Can you? It's worth a shot. <laughs> Now, Kyle, I don't recall exactly how many um, followers he had prior to that video. Uh, I don't think it was all that many, uh, relatively speaking. But here we are in mid-January, just over a month later, and he has more than 325,000. And uh, that one video alone has 21.5 million views. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot of views, and uh, glad to see him having success on the uh, TikTok there. Um you know, I, I kind of wonder if Grandma really didn't know he could sing. It seemed like a genuine reaction, but uh, yeah. people do make videos for TikTok. Either way, it doesn't take away from the fact that he can sing play piano very well. Um, very, very talented. But I do want to know if, 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 if Grandma was part of that uh, video being yeah. staged or not. Either way, it doesn't take away from his talent. Mm. Totally agree with you there. I wondered the same thing myself, um, but... Um, no matter uh, what way you look at it, um, tremendous talent for Blake Prohl. So hopefully he'll continue to do well in the football field and in his singing career. Uh, final thing um, before we get out of here, um, we've been over the last few days been putting out our Division One baseball preview uh, for the state of North Carolina. Um, I think six of those, to be exact, are already released, including our uh, very own Cliff Godwin. So check those out on our YouTube channel. And then uh, on Friday, um, we'll have ones um, with North Carolina head coach Scott Forbes and also uh, Davidson head coach Rucker Taylor. So stay tuned as we catch up with all the head coaches, um, 17 to be exact, around the state of North Carolina between now and opening day, which is February 18th. Have we ever played Davidson in baseball? Do we ever play Davidson in anything? I know we, we played him in basketball this year on a neutral court. At some point, but to be honest, Kyle, I'm, I, th I think it was probably, uh, if I had to guess, I think um, maybe back in our old SoCon days, I, th I think they were in there. So we had some, uh, a lot of uh, meetings that a lot of people don't realize, um, especially, you know, the younger generation of Pirates. Right, yeah. No, uh, obviously, if it was in the SoCon, that's been a long time ago. And um, Bubba Grant, uh, apologize for not being able to get your question in as far as what John McGinnis' favorite golf movies are. I promise you next time we have him on the show, we'll ask him that. 
I was loving, uh, or I was, you know, anticipating being able to talk Tin Cup with him. I love that Kevin Costner movie, and I'm sure that may have been one of the ones that you had in mind as well. But um, Happy Gilmore. Yeah, <laughs> Happy Gilmore, I'm sure, would have come up. Um, but, I mean, Kyle, if you don't have anything else, we'll go ahead and put a – put an end to this show and uh, it's been been an excellent I appreciate the time of nate ross first and foremost and then um, john mcginnis a former east carolina golfer and now serious xm host uh, covering the pga but uh, for the absent dave richmond and kyle barber i'm bub rosenbaum and you have been listening and watching the sports objective on facebook youtube and twitter have a great weekend everyone go pirates